0: You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? When we look at this passage, one thing I want to lift up to you is the fact that what this author in James is talking about, making the distinctions between the rich and the poor, when he says the word assembly, when they come into the assembly, he's talking about church. He's talking about church, the early church. He's actually observing that in the early church, and Paul does this too, that when people came in, if there was one seat left, the person with the nicer clothes would be given that seat, and the person with the dirty clothes would be asked to stand in the back or sit on the floor. That was in church. They were making those kinds of distinctions between the wealthy and the poor. But you know, we don't have to go back to the early church to see those kinds of distinctions. In fact, sometimes just the fact that we're in church makes a distinction itself. There are some people who don't feel worthy to walk into the doors of a church because of what they have on or how much they have. And so sometimes the existence of church itself is a divider between the rich and the poor. But even inside some congregations, there's a division. I'm sure Brian has served congregations and I have served congregations where there is a pew pew where that particular family always sat. They were founding members, their generations ago been part of the church, and they might have been responsible for underwriting a large portion of the budget. When they were on vacation, when they were on vacation, that pew was empty. If somebody sat there, you knew they were visitors because people didn't know the rules. But we make those distinctions. It's natural. It's human nature. And we do that in society outside of the church as well. I just want to invite you to, along with me, reflect somewhat critically on that impulse that we have. Because when we do that, we're doing it because it's possible that that person who has more than we do could return the favor one day that they might have something to give to us. We might be able to benefit from them one day. They might remember our kindness when we need it the most. Now examine that a little bit more deeply and realize that at the root of that, even if you feel like it's providing hospitality, there's a sense of self-interest. There's an advantage to you. You might make the sale as a lifelong fundraiser, I might get the gift. What is it that's at the heart of treating people who have more than we do a little bit better? And there is an element of self-interest in there, but, but this, this passage warns us to be careful because when you, when you live by a code of self-interest, and everybody lives by that code. If you disregard the person who has less than you for the sake of the person who has more than you, when you lose value, when you lose value to the person who has more than you, this passage reminds us they can forget about you too, just like you forgot about the person poorer than you. They can run over you, just like you might have run over the person poorer than you to get to the person who was wealthier than you. When you play that game, when we play that game, we lose. This passage reminds us that throughout Scripture, God has always looked to the least, the lost, and the outcast to be the champions and the heroes of the faith. And it says it pretty bluntly here, God favors the poor. God favors the poor. The second part of James that I want to read today starts in verse 8. You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remember that when Jesus was asked about all of the laws, all of the commandments, all of the moral codes, somebody asked him, which one is the greatest? And Jesus' answer said, all of the law, all of the prophets can be summed up into two. Love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's the whole law. And so, when we do things that are not consistent with loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're not just breaking some trivial part of the law, we're breaking the whole law. And so, in this passage, we're looking at the need to show mercy to those in need. And when we fail to show mercy to those in need, we are failing to love others as we love ourselves. And so we transgress all of the laws. And so we have a choice. Are we going to show mercy to those who need mercy, or are we going to judge harshly? Because again, which system do we want to live in? Which rules do we want to play by? We want to play by a set of rules of harsh judgment? If so, then we need to be prepared to be judged harshly ourselves. Or do we want to play by the rules of showing mercy in hopes that mercy will be shown to us? And this is the good news of today's passage, that just as we have a choice to judge or to show mercy to others around us who need our mercy and don't need our judgment. God has a choice with us, and others in our lives have a choice with us. And we pray that they will accept our humanity, that they will accept us in our time of need, and not judge us harshly, but show us mercy. And the good news is that God is a God of mercy, and God deals with us mercifully. No matter what we do, no matter what we do, we can't separate ourselves from the mercy of God. No matter how much in need we are, we won't be judged harshly by God. Accept that mercy, and it makes it easier to show that mercy because in a world where you're putting triumph uh, where you're putting judgment versus mercy mercy triumphs over judgment mercy triumphs over judgment the third part of james i want to get into it begins in verse 14 what good is it my brothers and sisters if you say you have faith but do not have works can faith save you if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith itself, if it has no works, is dead. The poor need more than our thoughts and prayers. They can't eat our thoughts and be nourished by them. They can't wrap themselves in our prayers and be warmed by them on a cold night. We have to take that extra step of meeting their physical needs. You know, sometimes we confuse faith and good intentions with belief, but it's possible to believe in something and not have that change the way that you live in this world. You can believe in something and not have that influence the way that you interact with others. Faith, on the other hand, is belief in action. Faith is how we relate to other people based on our belief. If the way that we treat others is not changed, by our beliefs, then it's like a counterfeit $20 bill. It'll spend some places, but eventually it'll be discovered as fake. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. These passages are calling us pretty explicitly and pretty directly to care for those who have little or nothing in a very real or meaningful way. Just as those times in our lives when we may actually be the ones who have little or nothing, we need other people to care for us, and we need God to show us mercy. And the way I want to help us remember this is by lifting up for you what I call mercy rules. Now, some of you might be familiar with the term mercy rule from youth sports. It's particularly helpful in baseball when you can stop a game and keep one team from running up the score on the other team. In baseball, it's really good because if if your defense can't get anybody out, they just keep batting through their order over and over again, and the score runs up and up and up, and the game never ends. And so you have mercy rules when actually you get to a certain point differential and you call the game. Now there are some sports, some tournaments that actually want to count the point differential to see if you advance in the tournament. Soccer is famous for this. And if you're on the losing side of one of those games, it can be brutal. All you can do is watch the clock and hope that it's over. So mercy rules are something that we are familiar with through youth sports. But when it comes to living out our lives, what are the mercy rules that this passage suggests that we should live by? It's important to remember that wealth is not always easy to come by, and wealth is not always easy to hold on to. But when you have it, you feel like you're on the winning team, and things do seem to break your way. More often than not. And when you lose it, or when you don't have it, then things just don't seem to be breaking your way. I had the opportunity, let's call it, to go to the DMV to get a driver's license not too long ago. And so I went to the Orange County tax collector's office. I took my ticket, I waited in line, I went up to see the clerk, and while I was Answering all of her questions, a person came in to me, or came in next to me to the clerk next to me. And it was a man probably in his late 50s or early 60s, and it looked like he had his son with him. And they were in pretty tattered clothes. And I was overhearing their conversation with the clerk. And there were two things that I could tell for sure based on what I overheard. One, the man as he was looking into the the scope to read the eye test, could not speak English. And he had brought his son to drive him there and to translate for him. The second thing that was clear to me is that he couldn't see anything in that scope. And so to kind of save face and to hide his embarrassment, he would say, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there. But he just couldn't see. And the clerk denied him a driver's license. I started thinking about what his story might be. And I'm projecting all of this could be completely wrong. But it's possible that both he and his son had to take the day off to be there to get a driver's license. It's possible that he needed a driver's license to drive to work. To keep his job. It's possible that they both worked in hourly wage jobs and so when they were actually away from work they were losing money. And now the clerk was telling him he had to go get glasses. It's possible that this person actually didn't have the money to go to an eye doctor. It's possible that this person didn't have the money to buy glasses. And if he did, he and his son would have to take another day off to go to the eye doctor. He and his son would have to take another day off to come back to the tax assessor's office to get the driver's license. So without the glasses, he couldn't get the license. Without the license, he couldn't hold the job that would allow him to get the glasses. This is the vicious circle that poverty can bring to some people. So when things stop breaking your way, they can really stop breaking your way. So we may all be in different financial situations. It doesn't really matter for the sake of the passage today. Because what's true, I think, Because no matter where you are, there's somebody in the world wealthier than you. And there's somebody in the world poorer than you. And this passage calls us to think about how we are treating those who have less than we do. And I believe that it offers us three rules to live by that I call mercy rules. The first is that God favors the poor over the rich. And the corollary to that is we should too. The second is mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the good news for all of those of us in need of mercy. Mercy rules. And the third is that faith without works is dead. So revel in the good news that God shows us mercy and God asks all of God's people to help bring in a kingdom of God that would show us mercy in our time of need or when we have not been our best selves. A God who favors those of us in need more than judging us for what we've done wrong. A God who reaches out and cares for us in our humanity, no matter who we are, no matter how we're living, no matter what we've done, and be energized by that good news, by that love, that unconditional love, so that we can, in turn, go out from here. We can, in turn, go out from here and meet the physical needs of those who are too often neglected. And in the meantime, ask a family member or a friend to help you live a life of mercy and not judgment so that you can stop elevating and exalting the already privileged and start lifting up the downtrodden. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, CitrusChurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.